Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Real Wealth, Real Health, the show that empowers you with insights, information, and inspiration to achieve your version of financial wellness. Learn how to balance living a full life today with planning for the future. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Investing, a real estate-centric private capital network that provides exclusive investment opportunities to its members. And now, here are your hosts, Ada Piedrico and Daniel Coca. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Real Wealth, Real Health. Our guest today is Zach Racinger. Zach is the co-founder of the CRE Pro Course and a director of real estate acquisition and development. He is a passionate commercial real estate broker who wants to change the way that CRE brokers work and thrive. In this episode, Zach shares an inside look at the role CRE brokers play in the industry, discussing topics like the fiduciary duty of brokers, the importance of integrity and relationship building, and the licensing process for all brokers, residential and commercial. Zach also describes the process of becoming a successful CRE broker and offers advice to listeners who are interested in exploring this career. Many real estate investors don't even think about the role brokers play in the commercial real estate process, but a great broker can mean the difference between a solid, properly vetted deal and one that falls apart at the finish line. After this episode, you'll understand that the best brokers act as advisors, and we even get some fun insights into the day in the life of a commercial real estate broker when I ask Zach flat out, if it takes you years to close a deal, what do you do all day? All right, Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Adapia. Good to see you guys. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, it's good to see you too. You are a newfound, I think to me, entrepreneur. And so I was really excited to bring you on because I've been thinking a lot lately about the role of brokers in what we do with investing. And it occurred to me that I don't really know the ins and outs of it. I think most people don't. I think we take it for granted, but they play a key role. And I know that you, with with your history, like you have a career in commercial real estate brokerage. And so I wanted to bring you on. I know you've been up to a lot of interesting things and you have your own business. So this is going to be all about commercial real estate state brokerage today. So yeah, let's just get started. Like who is like, who is Zach and what's a CRE broker? Sure. I'm Zach Racinger. I live here in Austin, Texas. I broker real estate here in Austin, Texas, in, sp- in particular commercial real estate. But I come from a family. My father is a commercial real estate broker. He has been a commercial real estate broker for 45 years. He's worked for the same company for 40 years. So he's a managing partner and a broker right now. But throughout my whole childhood, I remember having people come to the house or going to their houses and they have lived in these gigantic mansions. And I'm like, what do these people do for a living? And he said, they're in commercial real estate. Now, not necessarily commercial real estate brokerage, but they're in commercial real estate. And I was like, I want to do this. Whatever this is, I want to do this. So I knew that I would have to be good at sales. And so I 
sold a car insurance at night to get myself geared up for commercial real estate. And I ended up not going into commercial real estate directly out of college. I studied finance. I wanted to live abroad and I wanted to work in derivatives of all things. So very much, very similar to your background at a PM. I'm a bath, a math background and I'm a finance guy. But I eventually got into commercial real estate and the brokerage side, and I worked for big brokerages for a while. And what you alluded to or you talked about earlier was the CRE Pro course. So right now I broker commercial real estate deals, mostly warehouse, light industrial manufacturing. And through that, and the way that Adapia and I know each other is through Next Level Mastermind. So one of the great things that happened during the pandemic is because we were all inside and we didn't have this chance to meet each other because most of commercial real estate brokerage is it's who you know and who knows you and who knows who knows what you do and and your reputation and so during the pandemic we joined adapia and i joined a mastermind called next level we got to know each other and through that i met a dan lukowitz who's a triple net broker out of michigan outside of detroit the two of us got together we started doing these LinkedIn lives. He's, a, he's an influential guy on LinkedIn. And so we started doing these LinkedIn lives. People started asking us these questions like, hey, what do you guys do all day? Like, I, I like what you do. I like who you are. And I like listening to what you talk about. But what do you guys do all day? And Dan and I figured out that we often answer the same question. People will just call us, ask us a question about what we did, uh, what we do, and how we do it, and what we would suggest doing in a certain situation. Or would we recommend getting into commercial real estate brokerage? And we come to, came together, thought, hey, this is a great idea. Let's talk about that during this LinkedIn Live. And it turned out that, that we had a lot of people saying, hey, yeah, we would love to, to get into your course. And Dan and I kind of looked at each other and Dan's like, well, how much would you pay for this course? And so that just started it there. We didn't have anything really. We just, uh, we were fielding the same questions by people who wanted to get into commercial real estate. They didn't know what brokerage was. They didn't know how to become a commercial real estate broker. And, and truthfully, before the CRE Pro course, or you know, if you don't do a lot of extensive research, it's hard to figure out what does a commercial real estate broker do all day and why are they making $500,000 a year after just a few years in the industry? And, and one of the reasons is, is because there's so few of them you really, prior to the CRE Pro course, you had to have an uncle or a parent. I mean, I'm a good example of this. My, my dad was in it, so I kind of understood what it was, but I also understood how much of a risk tolerance you have to have because if you're doing huge 10, $20 million deals and you only do one of those every four years or something, and you make good money doing that, if you only do one of those every four years and you lose the deal at year 3.5, I mean, that has to be soul crushing. So I think it takes a resilience and an understanding. And that's how right now, that's how I bring people into my brokerage. I want to know that they understand what it takes to really fight day in, day out for their clients and really deliver in the long term. And it is a it is a marathon a lot of times. But once you get that reputation, the good reputation, and you carry your clients to the finish line a few times, it's just perpetual. So that by the time you're 50, 60 years old, in theory, that you're make you you know a lot of people and you're able to do a lot of deals in a shorter time span than every four years. So Zach, let me jump in with one kind of high level clarifying question for everyone. Yes. When we talk about commercial real estate brokerage, what does that actually apply to? Is it you know properties that have a commercial component to it, like the ones you mentioned, industrial manufacturing? Is it multifamily? Obviously, it's not single family homes, like what's what's your area of expertise 
Great question, Daniel. And that's sort of what we what we accentuate on in the course, but also maybe a, uh, <laughs> a little known fact, which is uh, it's the same license to sell commercial real estate is to sell residential real estate. But when you take this exam, they teach you almost nothing to do with commercial real estate. They teach and because the majority of people getting their licenses are getting a residential license. They really teach it for the modern home buyer or seller. And I don't know what percentage of it is, but a lot of those people never end up sell, selling or buying a home, or if they do, they do it for themselves and, and that's it because it's, it's pretty difficult and it's pretty competitive out there. So to make that jump from residential to commercial and understand what that means, what a commercial deal, how it's different, the distinguishing factor, and it could be single family. I mean, you, I could sell single family residential homes, but it, I have to do such a high volume. In fact, I started out selling residential uh, homes. I realized how much of a volume I had to do. I ended up working for Trulia. I became a number one salesman at Trulia, then at Zillow. And then from there, I, it sort of created my, my history in, in working for tech companies, which helps me build a stack inside of my current brokerage. I guess the point of all that is that, yes, you can sell whatever type of real estate, sell, lease, buy, uh, for yourself or for your clients. But in order to have this brokerage license, you must take an exam. There's not a separate exam for commercial real estate brokers, and it could be leasing, it could be buying. It tends to be because the dollar amounts are so high and because the pressure is so high that you you specifically focus on a niche. For example, my father's a, a warehouse and industrial, a big land guy and, a, and sells buildings. He doesn't deal with retail leases. He doesn't do office space. He doesn't... So you you carve out your niche. And that's often the hardest part for most real estate brokers to, to grasp is that if the way that the current system is set up is that uh, they sell in teams. So it's usually two seniors who have had some time in the industry and done a bunch of deals and they don't want to do the cold calls anymore. So they hire two juniors who do all the cold calls, but haven't run the deal cycle yet. So most cases, if you run a business or you're a big, let's say you're a big O tires or something like that, you're not going to select the guy who's brand new. You could do that if you were selling your house. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry, set forth by you know KW, Keller Williams, or or Better Homes and Gardens, or whoever's selling the home. Century Twenty One. They have a list of things you need to do. In commercial real estate, there is no list like that. There's no way uh, set forth, and that's what we tried to do in the CRE Pro course to say: here's what has worked for us, here's where we have failed, and here's what we would recommend doing based on our experience so that you can go from no sales on your first day to your first listing and your first closing in six months. And that's what keeps most people out of the industry is that it takes sometimes a year to 18 months to close your first commercial deal. So if you don't join a team, if you're not on with somebody else that helps you feed that deal, that's the first question I always ask new brokers in my brokerage. I say, how much living money do you have for the next, for how many months can you exist on what you have right now? and build in a contingency. So if your refrigerator breaks or whatever, but how much how much runway do you have? Because you may not close a deal and get paid for the first year. And most of the guys that I know in tech sales are like, they make a quarter million a year, but they spend a quarter million a year. So they like, I can't get into this. And so it's just a choice you need to make or have resources or a lot of people will do it with like a spouse or something, will sponsor them. It's like going back to school essentially. So we try to accelerate that curve. And commercial real estate is really what you, whatever you want to make of it. Most people will gravitate towards either like whale hunting, where you're doing really monster deals. You're doing a, a hot, you're selling hospitals or you know airport, airports or something, 
or they'll do like really fast and quick leases, which are usually like two, two, two years at a time, two to five years. So an office lease downtown, and then you have that as a client and you keep going back to that same person, you know, when the lease expires and you, and you, you know, butter them up again at six months out and say, Hey, are you guys want to, do you want to stay here? Do you want to renew? Do you want to expand or do you want to contract or what's happening in your business at this point? So take, take us under the hood. This, this is a question I, I've always been dying to ask people in your position. Okay. So we oftentimes, and when I say often, I mean a majority of the time when one of our operating partners brings us a deal, a part of the narrative is it's coming from this brokerage, this broker, they know who we are. Like, why aren't they putting it on the market where you know, prices are skyrocketing and everyone's bidding 10, 15, 20% above list price. Well, they're not doing it because we have a relationship. And, you know, when they sell us a deal, they know when I sell it in two, three, four, five years down the road, right. I'm going to come back to them and give it to them. And my thought as an investor in these deals is awesome. Like we'll take the off market, lightly marketed deal. But then we also always say on the other end, I'm never hiring this broker. Like that's not a move that doesn't work. That works for me as a seller. And so sure. what I want to know is like how much of that is actually happening? How much is just narrative? How should people think about, you know, the, the transactions that happen in a space where there's not always a ton of transparency? Great question here. Here is the answer. And I think systemically more it's why are there, why is the commercial uh, business not this similar to Zillow and the residential or Redfin or whatever? Like, why doesn't everybody uh, put their property up or, or not list or, or whatever, you know, it, mostly that is because, well, there's a few reasons sometimes that people do not list their property because they don't want people to know it's for sale. Like if you are selling a shopping center or something and you don't want to publicly disclose out on LoopNet or CoStar or Crexy or whatever listing service, you want to keep that in the pocket and you want to go reach out to the broker that, you know, most people, it's interesting, Daniel, they're like, I have a deal right now, a big, like monster deal. And our client is one of the most connected people that I know. And she came on my show. My, I have a CRE pro show, just similar to, to this. She came on my show. I was interviewing her for something completely different. And she came back to me six months later and she said, I really want your help on this. Do you, do you buy gigantic warehouses? And I said, obviously just as your previous question, I said, oh, sure. Absolutely. I can help you. She tells me what she needs. And I asked her later, why did you select me? Why, why did you ask for my help? And she's like, I don't know any other commercial real estate brokers, but you know what? She knows a ton of them. She just doesn't think about them because it's not a top of mind. So if you're not doing business with somebody on a consistent basis, you're not reminding them who you are, what you do, how you do it the best, why you're you know, exemplifying as you guys do on your show here, why you are the best selection for your trade. People often forget about you. And so I agree with you. You want to work with a broker. I don't know if the distinction is, it resonates here, but like a broker is somebody who, who works for a brokerage, but controls agents. A lot of cases, agent works for a broker. So ultimately the broker is always doing the transaction. Agents are never doing the transaction. They're sort of like the people who go out and find business for the broker. And then they split some money between the two of them. So in commercial brokerage, it, it just turns out that it's such a relationship based business. And it's sort of, I agree with you, Daniel, it's clandestine to the effect that it's not a great system. It's not utterly transparent. And yet at this point, 
when Zillow went in and bought, so Zillow in 2008 bought access to the MLS when the MLSs were like sort of out of money and they said, okay, we'll provide you with a CoStar at this point has not done that. So CoStar runs about 10 different data sets out there and the most up-to-date, we brokers are feeding the information in. So it's real-time information that we're providing them and they're just selling it back to us. But it's the, it's the end-all be-all golden castle of information out there. And so because of that, um, if it's on that up on that listed platform and you really need to push this property and you're just trying to say anybody who wants to can make an offer on it and we want to show our clients that we're out there marketing it that's sort of like the last resort you want you as a seller want to work with and and have a good relationship with a broker who's like super connected into things like REITs or family trusts or big pools of money invest in institutional investors because all they need to do to go out and sell your building is go to the right one right so they'll they will in a pitch meeting and these things are vicious because you've got the big boys like a jll a cbre out there and they've got seemingly endless supplies of money and resources and they're fighting against each other and they're fighting against the the quick and the nimble out there with less resources that are trying to win these same listing presentations because a listing presentation could mean millions of dollars of commission coming into the to the firm so they're out there and you're what you're offering and what what i offer inside of a a pitch inside of a listing presentation is my connections you daniel list your building with me and i will get you at or above the other bp the bpo the broker's opinion of what it should actually list and sell at i'm going to go in and tell you why i can do that and what my connections as you asked about earlier, who do I know personally that I can go give this deal to that will, will eat it up all day long for the price that you're looking for or that I'm telling you I can sell it for? So that's the answer. This is so insightful. <laughs> this is well, like- here, you know, I, I feel always bad doing this. I, my cousins are all uh, commercial real estate brokers and they see me on shows and they're like, they're like, dude, your your whole program is revealing what we do and why we get paid to do it. And the interesting part, I think about that, because they're like, look, there are a lot of you only see it's like the iceberg effect. You only say, yeah. see the 10 percent of what a real estate broker is doing. I tell this to my partner. And, and one of the questions you were asking about earlier is, is what what are these sets me different apart or sets brokers apart from each other? And a lot of times it's do you do what you say you're going to do Mm -hmm. and can you be counted on can you be are you transparent are you always acting in the best interest of your client and you would you and i would say always we're good people and we always would do that but i can tell you growing up people would come to me and tell me say your father like on the side even if he could not hear me they say your dad is very distinct in our field he does what he says he's going to do and he's honest and i was like why do you have to tell in your profession why do you have to like bring that out why is that a thing because most people don't say that about other people they've worked with in the industry or other brokers and you're seeing the same people over and over again so you develop this reputation that it's i wouldn't say it's easy to lie cheat and steal in this but it is very possible to omit certain facts that you should be telling or or misrepresent or or divulge things to the other side that you shouldn't but that gets around just as daniel was saying if you don't conduct yourself correctly as you're doing a deal on one side they're never going to hire you or they're going to tell all of their other friends 
about you. You know, they're in the country club and they say, look, and listen to this guy, listen to what this guy did. He mm -hmm. totally screwed up here or he, whatever it is. And so that gets around really fast. So it's all about reputation. It's all about work ethic. And it's, it's important to keep that up because one bad deal, Adipia, you know this, just like our, just like in, in private equity, one bad deal and your investors see that and that yeah. could ruin your entire career. So you have to be very vigilant. You have to be very honest and you have to just be a hardworking person, even when nobody's watching. Yeah, no, it's a really, it's a really good point. It is. It, it's, it's quite remarkable almost how simple it is and how it comes down to that really basic, are you a good, honest person? And if you do right by people, you're going to be okay. I mean, like all things being equal and, and yeah, we completely appreciate that about, about reputation and doing the right thing for your clients. And I don't know, do you have a fiduciary duty? I don't imagine you have a fiduciary duty or do you as a broker? Yes. How does that work? Yeah, you do. So every state is different. Every state has different rules. In, for example, in Michigan, Dan is able to represent both sides of a transaction. So both buyer and seller in Texas and Colorado, where I hold licenses. We, so you can only represent one side. And because of that, you can, somebody else inside your firm can represent them or they can represent themselves. I mean, you don't need a commercial real estate. You don't need a broker to help you buy or sell real estate. There's a form online that you can go and make an offer. It's a promulgated form and you can go make that offer on your own. What we imbibe, what we are paid for, and what I think very handsomely paid for a lot of times is the knowledge and the prevent preventative defense. I would say, I always asked my dad why, again, I worked at Zillow. I was, a, I was one of the number one sales guys out there on the floor and just hammering through it. I invited my father in one day and we were making somewhere between 250 and 300 calls. Like that was the minimum wow. calls you had to make in every day at, at truly and Zillow, or they stopped sending you inbound callers. So you're hammering the phones. It's just like I could imagine the stock market was in the 1980s. Everybody throwing things, you know, people playing, swinging their golf club as they're on the on their <laughs> headset. And my dad went in there and he goes, "This is nuts." He's like, "What is happening here?" I'm like, oh, "This is this is real estate 2.0." And he's like, "No, it's not. This is not real estate 2.0." He said, "I probably make four calls a day." And he heard me make these calls, right? It's very different these days than I think it has been in the past. But I said, Dad, your profession is going to be outdated, right? It's going to be one of these things. It's going to be the stock market of the uh, uh, stockbroker of the past. People have read readily uh, available access. And maybe that does happen in the in the blockchain. But ultimately, he said, you know what, if you're going to make one $10 million decision every 10 years, you're going to entrust somebody, particularly if you're on the buy side and you don't pay for it anyways, if you're going to entrust somebody to hold your hand. And and uh, to your point earlier, Daniel, that a lot of times it's like that knowledge where if, uh, if I'm helping somebody buy a, a warehouse, for example, and I don't help them get a phase one, phase two, phase three mitigation, I don't help them hit certain deadlines, remember to do things, deposit money surveys and a lot of a lot of things very technical could be very technical phase three power all these things now they've put a bunch of money down and they say well wait how much does it cost to bring phase three power to this this property oh it's another million dollars like what we're gonna buy a, a million dollar property and we're gonna spend another million bringing in the power that we need why didn't you tell us this you should have known that we needed phase three power we are an industrial company and so if it's your first deal or if it's, you know, if you've never worked for with an industrial company, you wouldn't know to ask them that you wouldn't know that that's a requirement of most heavy industrial companies. 
but they know that. So you have to like, you have to learn new businesses all the time. I think that's what makes it most fun for me. Every new client I get, I've got a Jeep dealership for list listed for sale right now, for example. I get to learn all about the dealership business or my dad used to sell churches and, and he would learn all about churches or hospitals. You have to learn all about what the, what the buyers and the sellers care about when they're selling their unique specialty property. So it's a fun, it's a fun uh, profession. And hopefully if you do it well, you get paid and, but it's hundred percent commission. So if you suck at it, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> try, go try to find something else. So you you said something before and and it made me think i just recently rewatched uh wall street the movie like the the original wall street and when you talked about that like in the 80s like throwing papers and getting angry and, and i was thinking about this film and not to not to parallel with like what happened in in that movie because it you know it was illegal but essentially like the character to get the big whale you know, he shows up in Michael Douglas's office and, and he's like, oh, I got some deals for you. And he's like, tell me something I don't know. Tell me something I don't know. I have all the same information as you. And then he gave him some sure. like inside tip. And it, and then he learned that what the most important thing about a deal is getting, you're trading information. You're trading information that nobody else has. Now he went and did it illegally and all that kind of stuff. It is a movie, but it seems like, and then you elaborated on like all the things you have to learn about a business that it always comes down to having the most holistic set of information and helping that person by providing legal information to them to make a good decision. And so I find that really, it's fascinating and yet logical, but also confusing to me in a way that wouldn't the client know the things that they need if they are in that business? Like what's the arbitrage on information there that you can provide as value? Yeah. So a, a good question. A lot of it is resourcefulness. Maybe there's something that, well, doesn't it, it directly affect their business, but it's something you're looking out for foresight. So let's say repaving the concrete, right? Repaving it, repaving the, the asphalt or something. It's very similar to what you see in, if you've purchased a home, you know, that they, the normal things a realtor will say, will would be, uh, you need to repair the roof and we need to check the plumbing and whatever the you know, whatever the inspector says, we can ask for some of these things or, but in, in, when you're talking about a really big, uh, complex or you're or talking about tenant improvements and allowance for tenant improvements, it gets really deep into negotiation. And I think a lot of times it's, it, it's a shock factor. I can tell you this, a lot of my clients are, 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 I'm not saying that I, what I do is amazing, but they're blown away. They're like, they don't understand how intense it's going to be. And they try to do it on their own. I, I've had so many clients that they run a small business and they're like, I just went out and tried to go lease office space. I couldn't find anything anywhere. How do you know where to find people? Well, as Daniel was saying earlier, I know the people that have an inventory of, of office space for rent. They'll tell me because I've traded back and forth secrets with them, or I've given them a lead for it's, it's social capital, right? I've given them a lead without asking anything back from them because I keep that little notebook and I say, okay, go back to this person and say, Hey, I've got a client I think can afford to this much. Do you think we can get there? Oh, I don't know. So you're, you're the great part about being a broker is you're sort of an ambassador between your client who could be emotionally driven uh, or financially driven or whatever it is. Our job at the end of the day as brokers is to get a deal done. So it's sort of counterintuitive, as you said, that 
we're trying to get the best price for something, but we're for our client or a buy or sell, but we're also motivated to get the deal done because if we don't, we don't make any money. So we're trying to find a way and buyers and sellers, by the way, are the same way, right? They want there. Nobody's listing their property. Not very many people are listing their property for sale without actually wanting to sell it. And they're also in most cases, not working with a buyer's agent every day and talking divulging a bunch of stuff, opening up their books and so on to a buyer's agent or finding financing if they're not really interested in buying. So for both of those things, it's really important to know what you're doing, I think, to, to, to look out for your client, but also at the end of the day, like they have a need. The reason that they reached out to you is they've set forth parameters to say, we're trying to accomplish this thing. Here's what it will mean to our business. If you've done a good listing presentation, if you've done a good buyer's rep presentation, you know exactly what they're trying to do. You know what their thresholds are. You try to get the best deal, but if you wait for the very best deal, right? If you strangle, if you try to, well, it could be a, it could be a strategy, but if you try to strangle out the other side until they give you what they want, they'll just go with somebody else. And then you start the process all over again. So it's a delicate balance between getting the deal done, really going after every penny, but more so it's, it's protecting your client. So a lot of cases, as you were saying, like you should be looking out for the best intention. You want to make sure that your client is at little risk as possible because it's not your money again, right? They're putting their money up as an option money or on a contingency fee or financing or whatever. And you're relying on them to report. Well, half of it's report back to you to say, okay, I lost the financing. I lost the funding. Like we need to get out of this now, but also protect me because there's a chance that I can't get the money to do this. So make that one of the things that we can get out of the longest, right? Give us the most leeway. The other one would be like the environmental stuff, right? If you find that there is a toxic waste dump above your property and it's been leaking down into yours, but you don't find this out until the very last moment, we, your client's going to lose a bunch of money. Had nothing to do with them, you, but it did have to do with your outlook and your ability to protect them. So all of these reasons are, are reasons that you, you need to look out for your client. And at the same time, like not all that information at APIA is publicly available, right? It's, it reminds me of like a lawyer. The more information the lawyer has about the other side, the better that their argument can be, the better they can do. But most of these are not public companies. You don't know all of the background of all of the properties. You can do your best to get the survey and the title and the environmental and all these things. But if you don't do your research to find out, oh, a Wendy's is going next, next door to this Taco Bell that we're trying to buy, and that's going to totally tank their business. Well, you've let that, you've let your client down. And as Daniel said earlier, that that's another reason why you wouldn't go with that broker again, if you decided to move forward at all. So I think that's a really important point. And the skeptic in me applies it immediately to what people are trying to do with, with blockchain and real estate. And creating on-demand liquidity, right? Because we forget so often that real estate is not like the stock market. It is not regulated. The things that we do on deals, the way that we get information, the MNPI, the material non-public information that's available that we trade on, like that is not stuff that would be allowed in the public markets, but it is in real estate. And that's where you can create a competitive advantage. And my concern always with, you know, trading assets to a public who doesn't have access to this is all of those things can be happening. We can know that the Wendy's is going up next door, but you know, Bob in 
Idaho doesn't know that. And so we're going to trade and we're going to sell. Uh, but none of this is regulated because it falls outside the scope of, of you know, what's currently, what's currently happening in, in, in the world, right? And so I think that's a really interesting point that people often forget. And I know when I started Alpha and I left the, the law firm, I was a securities lawyer. My first thought was like, I can't believe like the wild, wild west that is real estate. It's crazy. Here's an interesting point though. And, and I think it has to do with the perception of the information that you have, right? With the blockchain, now you can set up rules to say that if this thing exists, like if it fails a Viro, in Viro 2, cancel everything, clear everything out, sell your position immediately, fire off a letter to the, the title company that you want to cancel the deal and get out as soon as you can, as fast as you can. But there is sometimes where you could say, wait, if it fires, it fails environmental, I can go back to them and say, hey, I want a discount of XYZ percent. So it's hard to automate everything, right? There's some advantages. Like if you knew that that Wendy's was going in next door and then you, you still wanted to buy it, but you either want it for a discount or you want it for more or less or whatever, those are decisions that still need to be made by people. And everybody's perception of what that is is not always the same. So that's where a lot of this comes into a, a savvy investor, a savvy investor or buyer, seller, or uh, a real estate professional is able to take that data, those data points that they learn along the way, or that they hopefully in due diligence learn before it's costly and apply those to what their valuation is of the property or what they're trying to accomplish. So it's, I don't see the blockchain thing happening as fast as I would with like, I, I thought it was great for project management or title work or, a lot of things that could be automated, but the decision-making process is still, it's like this, I, for me, it's like the stock market. It's like, there's there's still, and an, there's variables that you don't know, and everybody reacts to those variables differently based upon what your, you know, what your beta is on the other the other factors. Yeah, that that whole, well, I mean, that whole space is, is like something <laughs> else entirely, right? When you talk about a secondary market and that's where the information just, doesn't flow through because it's trying to be traded sort of almost incognito, like, oh, here's a piece of this building. Everybody wants real estate. It's really good. And, but yet you don't, you've really like, that's a massive trust exercise, which yeah, maybe smart contracts can bake in some of it, but it's true in real estate that it, there's still, there's so much of a human element in something that one would not necessarily think is such a human element as a building, right? It's like, it's an asset should be easy to understand. And yet it's, so very complex. We see that in our underwriting. You just named a whole bunch of factors that we take into consideration that we expect the, you know, the broker working with our operating partners to be taking into consideration. And so there's got to also be like a lot of checks and a lot of checks and balances in the assimilation of that information and how it's perceived to your point. And so, yeah, so the, it's, I find this whole conversation so important because like I said in the beginning, we take a lot for granted, especially if we're on an LP side of investing, we take for granted the amount of work that goes into underwriting, the amount of work that goes into setting it up, the amount of work that goes into the acquisition or the sale, et cetera. Because under the hood, there are multiple people doing a lot of work to make sure that the deal makes sense, is legal, is safe. And I didn't know how big a role brokers played. So thank you. Well, yeah, I, I, one of the things that I think is interesting and that our, our businesses draw a parallel or our mentalities do anyways, Adapia, which is, uh, and this comes from Dan, this is the one to many, 
right? You and I can get on a phone call and I tell this people that every, every day. I say, you and I can get on a phone call and you can tell me everything that's great about your business and your business plan. But at the end of the day, uh, you've now spoken to maybe eight people all day and those eight people either get can do something with it or they don't. But if you have this one to many, if you have a television show like yours here, or you have a podcast or you have a newsletter, you're getting your ideas out one to many. You're trying to let people know more about your exemplifying your commitment to either your clients or your trade or or just your values, like putting those out there. And I love the video format for this, but also I think that uh, for so long, it has always been, and, and I joke about this, but Aviva Sonnenreich, who's the number one TikToker for commercial real estate. And I had her on my show the other day and I said, she's 29, runs a brokerage. Her father is a syndication guy out of Denver, super smart, super like aggressive. She does warehouse industrial so hard to make it, I think, sometimes as a woman or minority in this industry. And that's what the CRE Pro course is helping to do is bring down that barrier. It's she said, you know, I hate that this industry is old, all only old white guys. And I said, yeah, I agree. Like, let's we want to open up to everybody. I love more smart people to come into this industry, intelligent, trustworthy and just reliable people. And I think the more we can open that up to more people, by showing them that it is possible, but also accelerating that learning curve, the more the, the stronger our industry will grow, and the more I think the better ideas that we're going to have into our industry to flatten disparagement between the the information that is available. Because I want my clients to make decisions based on data. The more data that they have, whether they decide to consider it or not, it's a little bit different. But as long as I present it to them, I present it in a digestible format they're able to make a decision and, and, and relate to me say, Hey, we want to move forward, but at this price, then it's my job as a real estate broker to build a case to say, here is exactly why we're offering at this price. Here's why it's a fair price. Uh, or here we're trying to, we're, we're selling this and here's why we're selling it for this. Here's all the data. And this is what my client would like to do at this time. So we act as an ambassador, but a lot of times we act as a, an advisor ambassador of, of sorts. Yeah, it's really interesting. I have one last like technical question before the the official last question that I ask is like, like a day in the life or like, do you spend a lot of time on like the golf course at like, like what, like, what do you like, what do you do all day? I guess is really, the, I'm really curious, like how you live on like, not one day, but maybe like a week or, or a month. Sure. Because it takes months or years to close a transaction. And so much of it is business development and there's research, but like, yeah, what, what do you, what do you do with your what time? Do, what do you do all day? What do you do all day? <laughs> well, so there's there's two elements to that. And I think it's funny because I, I use uh, a, a marketing firm with Doug Lawson and uh, who came to us through Next Level. And he's he didn't know anything about our industry. And he's like, so we need to get you in front of more people. So for example, he's like, you need to be on TikTok Live because you do well on LinkedIn Live and you need to be on all live channels. And I said, well, what do I shoot? And he's like, well, just tell me about what you did today. And I said, well, I went to a warehouse and all these guys in overalls, big chew hanging out of their mouth. And they, you know, they're working on a welding project, but they are trying to sell a $20 million recycling center that their father you know, started at some point. So it's Zach in this, you know, Armani suit and sweating and on Ray-Bans. And he said, this is your life. This is what you do. And I said, yeah, I mean, but it requires that trust that these guys have that I get out there and I walk the facility with them. They can point out things to me that I would never know from an aerial photo. So a lot of the time you're right. It is 
relationship building, it's network building, it's walking a property with your clients, it's finding new clients. But it historically, had been getting on the phone and, and calling one at a time. But I believe that the, the future is video, the future is information digested when you want, where you want, and, and your during your leisure time, but also just for informational purposes. So I'd spend a lot of time shooting video or I do a lot of do a lot of conferences or webinars because I love that people can learn more about, let's just say industrial warehouses, right? How do I go into an industrial warehouse with that owner and walk the property and look at the different things and hook height and doors and what really matters to somebody buying or selling a warehouse. So if they decide to buy or buy a warehouse, for example, first of all, they know one guy now that has 20 videos on how to buy a warehouse, what I look at, what my clients are looking at, what, you know, how they make their decisions, where they get their financing and all this kind of stuff. So I really think that it's important to have both elements, both in person now that we're able to go out and shake hands again, it hasn't really been that kind of a way in Texas. Texas outside of Austin, where I live, has always been pretty open about everything. So if we're doing ranching and I get in a helicopter and I fly over a 2000 acre parcel of land with my client, it's a wow factor for him. It's an easy sale for me because I've shown him the entire 2000 acres and I've just done it from you know 80 feet over, over the ground. And so every day is a little bit different. And I know that's, that, that's coy to say that, but a lot of days are just deep, deep, deep in Excel sheets. And again, I'm trying to provide the most data to my clients. And if they have the numbers that they know where the range is that they should be buying or selling, they can make that decision based on, on my advice. And then again, a lot of it is taking those calls from a, from a heated agent on the other side, throwing notebooks and, and going nuts. But I love that part of the industry too. It's, it's, it's hardcore negotiation and it's, you bring in the factors that I like, like the Chris Voss hostage negotiation tactics of here's what you, you give to take. And you bring incorporate all that stuff so that when your client is there with you and they're like, what just happened there? How did you know how to do that? And it's like, it's over a lifetime of learning things and trying new things and, and getting beaten up sometimes. Sometimes you get kicked in the teeth and you know it. And I come out of a negotiation, I go, wow, I just got destroyed in there. And then I reanalyze that. Why, how did they kick my ass so bad? And how do I do better next time? And how do I like recoil and come at it from a different angle? Because my client, as Daniel said, my client will not hire me again if I cannot learn how to win against this client. So, yeah. Well, I think I'm going to give you a million dollar idea. You should go pitch a show to Netflix or a movie because it's like, when you talk about the ranch, it's like part Yellowstone, part Wall Street movie, part like there's so much, there's so much going on. That should Absolutely. Be, I should... have a, a business partner uh, in my brokerage uh, <laughs> named Mark Gieske, and he sells huge pieces of, uh, he, he, sell, he sells towns, like an entire, he's selling an entire sure. wow. town. And uh, someone during our LinkedIn live goes, are you, is this Yellowstone? Did you just like explain what Yellowstone <laughs> was, but you're selling it? And he's like, yeah, I mean, that's what I do. I mean, these guys from, you know, this guy was from Europe and he's like, I didn't even know that you're an authentic cowboy, you know, lives the, 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 the Lone Ranger style out there. And yet you're selling and making, you know, millions of dollars a year and mm -hmm. very approachable. And at everybody's different, like how they, yeah. how they present themselves and how they want to, how they want to get new customers and retain those clients yeah. uh, for the long term. So 
yeah. we have to provide those values to our clients and and do the, what's best for them and get the deal done. Well, I'm glad you're out there stewarding more people into commercial brokerage and kind of taking them under your wing and putting them out into the world because you come at it with integrity, which I respect so much. And so I'm really glad that you're out there doing that. And so my last question to you is, and we ask this of all of our guests, what does wealth mean to you? Wealth equals time. Mm. Wealth equals time. As Elon and several others have said, we are all set equal by one thing, and that's the amount of time that we have, what time means to you. Whether you spend it with your friends or your family by yourself, I have a new puppy, Roger. Roger, spending with Roger, all of those things. And trying to consolidate your workday and and compartmentalize as much as possible your workday to the workday, whether it's on a 24-hour clock, as often mine is, but just making sure that you spend time with those that you love, tell them you love them, and spend time with your friends and and spend some time with yourself and just connect and don't think about work and just that's where most great ideas will come for from for commercial real estate i often tell our students in the cre pro course they ask me how do you come up with these out of the box ideas a lot of times it's just like getting out of the office go take a walk go take a hike go do something that's like mentally stimulating outside of where you normally walk make some decisions and it'll just pop into your head because you already know the answer. You're just getting in your own way. Right. I love it. I love it. Well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was really fun. And I learned so much about commercial brokerage and, and what you do. And I hope I get to meet you in person one day soon. Cause even though we're, we've known each other like two years, like over two years now, we still haven't met in person. So I hope that happens soon. So thanks again so much. If uh, you could, uh, yeah. If I could, if I could do one last thing, if you have any questions about the CRE pro course about commercial brokerage, or you just want to drop me a line, this is a good way. Snap that on your phone. If you are watching this on a video, if not, I'm Zach Racinger, R O E S I N G E R on LinkedIn. And I'm approaching 20,000 connections. I know it's really terrible. <laughs> oh, to say wow. It's a, it's a milestone <laughs> for me. It's small and compared to some of our friends, but for me, it's a big one. That's a big milestone. Well, we'll include links in the show notes and you know, I share this on LinkedIn broadly. So we'll, we'll get some people out your way. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Adapia. Thanks for tuning in to Real Wealth, Real Health. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and found it both informative and insightful. We welcome all your questions and your feedback about today's episode, and especially we welcome your questions about specific topics that you would like us to cover. So shoot us an email at podcast at alpha I.com. And if you have a moment, we really appreciate ratings and reviews as it helps us grow our online community and our interactions with you. And we'll also be linking to a number of relevant articles on topics that we might've touched on during our conversations. Some of them are broad, some of them are technical, but we're always aiming to provide information that helps you better understand the mechanics of building this healthy financial foundation, especially if you're looking to do this with real estate. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>